Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. On today's episode, we're going to talk about an aspect of thyroid health that is so frequently overlooked, and as a result, many, many, many people are suffering. They're told they don't really have a thyroid problem, even though they're showing classic signs. They're told that everything looks normal and their symptoms are being addressed by giving a drug for each individual one, whether it's an antidepressant or a laxative or a cholesterol-lowering medication or any of the others. This is wrong. These people deserve better. And that's why we're here today to talk about thyroid receptor resistance. If you do a Google search on thyroid receptor resistance, you're going to see a lot of talk about a rare condition that's related to specific genetic defects in the thyroid receptors. And that's not what we're here to talk about. That's really rare. What we're talking about is a very common condition that almost everybody that is suffering from some sort of thyroid problem has the risk of experiencing. So let's jump in and talk about what are the receptors, how they're controlled, and what goes into creating the resistance and how we can step in and help people to reverse that. To start out, the thyroid hormone is transported through the blood by a binding globulin, mostly thyroid binding globulin, but in some cases, albumin or other proteins can get involved. And when the thyroid hormone bound to the thyroid binding globulin gets to the cell, it gets transported through a channel, through a transporter protein. It can't just float in without help from that transporter protein. It was originally believed that thyroid hormones enter via passive diffusion. They just float on in. But now it's clear that there's actually an uptake mechanism that's involved that uses energy and sodium. So it's a sodium-dependent passage. So first of all, we have to get the thyroid hormone floating around in the blood attached to thyroid binding globulin. We have to get it into the cell through this transport protein. And once it's inside the cell, it needs to bind to a thyroid receptor generally on the nucleus of the cell. So there's a lot of things that can get in the way of that thyroid hormone getting in and binding to that receptor. And we can have all the thyroid hormone in the world in the blood. We can have all the thyroid hormone in the world inside the cell. But if it can't attach to the receptor, it can't do its job. And this is what's overlooked. You need to be able to affect this. So what causes this? 
what causes thyroid receptor resistance? You know, we've all heard of insulin resistance. We've heard of leptin resistance, but all hormones can have a condition of receptor resistance. We just don't hear about it very often. So what can cause thyroid receptor resistance? Well, number one is inflammation. And that inflammation can be caused by any number of things in the body. So cytokines and leukotrienes and interleukins be elevated and they affect the ability of the thyroid hormone to bind to the receptor. There can be nutrient deficiencies. In particular, vitamin A is super, super, super important to help the thyroid attach and get into the nucleus of the cell. So vitamin A deficiency is super important. Chemicals and toxins, we're surrounded by them, right? People are eating toxins in their food. They're drinking toxins in their water. They're exposed to toxins in the air, in their hair care, their skin care, their air care, you know, those deodorizers that they spray. There's all kinds of toxins. Those toxins can bind to the thyroid receptors and damage and decrease the ability of the thyroid hormone to get into the nucleus of the cell. Here's another one people don't think of, excess exposure to thyroid hormones. So if someone's been on T4 for years or even decades, like many people are, the thyroid receptors become resistant to it. Same way insulin receptors become resistant to hyperinsulinemia, too much insulin in the blood. When the hormone receptors are exposed to too much of the hormone, they basically close their ears. Oh no, I can't take anymore. because they want to protect themselves from overconsumption of that hormone. So that's one. So some people are, have been on thyroid hormone for a long time. And these are super important questions for you to be asking when you're doing your initial intake. Also cell danger response. If there's a cellular danger, whether it's an infection, an inflammation, or something that the, the cells perceive as dangerous, we're going to see receptor resistance result, and we're going to see low thyroid function. And effectively, what happens if we have receptor resistance, we have symptoms of low thyroid function, even if the blood levels are perfectly normal, even if the TSH is normal, the T4 is normal, the free T3 is normal, the conversion looks good. We may not be getting it into the cells where it can affect, and we have symptoms. Right. And these are the poor people. Like I said, those people fall through the cracks. They get told, hey, you're a hypochondriac here. Take some of this. Take some of that. Nutrients, super important. Besides the vitamin A, there's B vitamins. There's others that are important. I mean, you just have to have an overall good amount of nutrients inside the cells. And guess what? Most people are deficient. If you look at what people are eating, they're eating nutrient-depleted processed foods. So nutrient deficiencies are super important. Homocysteine, elevations of homocysteine, which happen when we don't have enough B vitamins, vitamin B6, B12, and folate, we end up getting an elevation in homocysteine, which damages the receptors. Very common cause. High levels of cortisol can result in high levels of cytokines. So high levels of cortisol over time, even in people who right now are depleted, when you do a, a test, they look like, well, they don't have high levels, but all stage three adrenal fatigue, if we still want to use that term, all people who appear depleted in cortisol on a test, they had to go through the hypercortisol stage, right? 
the hyper stage, and that causes the damage. So these are the conditions under which we've already identified that the thyroid receptors can become resistant. So whenever I'm working with somebody who shows up and they have all the symptoms of hypothyroid and they're on medication, or maybe they're not, and they're trying to deal with it naturally, or maybe they're not, I always assume they have receptor resistance before I get too far along. Because what happens is if I go through all the processing of determining, do they have T4 to T3 conversion issues? Do they have thyroid binding globulin issues? Do they have issues with elevated testosterone that causes low levels of thyroid binding globulin or vice versa, estrogen causing high? Before I go through all of that, I'm going to assume thyroid resistance. And that may seem kind of weird that I'm assuming but here's the thing, since we can't verify thyroid hormone resistance by testing, we just assume it based on the circumstances. And if we can help people to correct that, while we're looking at the other things that are out of balance, it certainly is going to speed up the process. And what I see a lot of practitioners doing is going down the path of oh, T4 to T3 conversion, excess, reverse T3, etc., and they don't address the symptoms of the resistance. They don't address the causes of the resistance. These people are doing all the right things. The labs are showing up okay, but they're not getting well. So it's really a good idea to address this right from the start. Many people have perfectly normal lab results. I can't stress that enough. Many. Most people with thyroid problems, you're going to find something out of balance, out of the normal realm or out of the ideal realm. But the normal realm in conventional medicine and the ideal realm are very different. So for example, under conventional approaches, TSH can get all the way up to 4.5 or even 5 before it's flagged as being a little on the high side. And I was talking to an MD friend a few weeks ago. Actually, I think we interviewed her on a podcast episode, Dr. Ali, and she said in her practice, they were like, yeah, you don't need to treat it unless it goes above 10. TSH above 10, that poor person, right? So we really want to look at that. But honestly, when we look at functional approaches, we look at 2.5 should be the high end range. Even the Association of Endocrinologists back in 2006, that's quite a long time ago, said that it should be 2.6 or below, not 4.5, not 5. So we have to look at what's really going on for these people inside their cells. So when you're talking about somebody who has multiple thyroid dysfunctions, maybe they have poor conversion from T4 to T3. Maybe they have too much thyroid binding globulin, and so the free hormones are not sufficient enough to activate the cell. Maybe they are not making enough TSH, and there's some pituitary issues. Regardless of what that is, all that stuff can be addressed and fixed, but if you don't address the resistance at the cellular level, they're not going to feel better. They're just totally not going to feel better. So this is my approach. I put addressing thyroid resistance before everything else. And we remove those causes that we already talked about. High stress leads to high cortisol, results in the production of inflammatory cytokines. That affects the conversion from T4 to T3 as well as the receptors. High homocysteine, which is a toxic byproduct of low B vitamins, 
in particular B12, B6, and folate, although B2 is also involved and also magnesium can be involved, we can address that. And we can get that high homocysteine down within a matter of a few months. It responds quickly to supplementation. Like we talked about already, addressing that vitamin A deficiency, helping people to get the vitamin A up. We don't normally test vitamin A like we test vitamin D, but it's easy to test and we can. Now, a lot of people have low levels of vitamin A because they have a particular genetic SNP, the BCMO1 SNP, which affects the conversion of food form of beta carotene into vitamin A. And for those people, they're going to need to supplement. The toxins that have been found to affect thyroid receptors are PCBs, dioxins, and other things that inhibit the binding of the thyroid to the receptor. When these toxins are inside the cell, they get in the way of the thyroid hormone binding to the receptor. And then certain medications. So always, always, always do a really thorough medication survey. What medications are they on and what medications can interfere with the binding of the thyroid hormone to the nucleus of the cell? So let's say we're suspicious of thyroid resistance. Or let's just say we're dealing with somebody who has been dealing with thyroid symptoms for a long time, is either on conventional medicine and isn't getting better, or is not on any medicine and they want to get better. The steps that I usually go through are, number one, address the adrenals, address the stress levels, help them bring their stress levels under control. Get them on a mindfulness practice so that they're not shooting out cortisol all day long and causing cell inflammation. And I like to look to see if there's a chronic undiagnosed infection. Is it an EBV infection? Is there a Lyme type infection? Is there a bacterial infection? Is there dysbiosis in the gut? I see a lot of Klebsiella and Enterobacter when I do stool tests. These can all affect the thyroid binding to the nucleus of the cell. If the homocysteine's high, which everybody should be testing, a lot of doctors still aren't testing homocysteine, but you test the homocysteine. And if it's high, then you're looking at supplementation with methylated B vitamins like folate and B9, B12, and vitamin B6, I usually supplement in the form of P5P. But I will caution you that some folks don't handle methylated B vitamins very well because of some other genetic SNPs, in particular the COMT, catecholamine O-methyltransferase. And if they have SNPs in that area, especially homozygous SNPs, both red, then they're not going to be able to handle those methyl groups. And oftentimes they end up with anxiety and depression. I have seen people who the doctor said, oh, you have an MTHFR, let's put you on all these methylated Bs, and then they got worse. They got very anxious. So be careful with that, although it can certainly help. With vitamin A, if vitamin A deficiency is present, I usually supplement in the neighborhood of 5,000 IUs a day. If they have a lot of homozygous vitamin A SNPs, the BCM01, then I might go up to 10,000. Zinc's another important nutrient for the receptor. And somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 milligrams a day oftentimes is enough to help to overcome that deficiency. But in some cases, they need more, especially if they have a zinc SNP 
you know, or several SNPs in the area of zinc absorption or zinc utilization. So playing with that zinc. And if mama was deficient in zinc when she was pregnant, then this person might be deficient in zinc and have to go all the way up to 80 or 90 milligrams. But I'm a low and slow type of gal. That's how I approach people. Start low, add gently to that. I like to use liquid zinc because I think it gets absorbed better and can turn the zinc deficiency around more quickly. I also like to use like a zinc tally test, which is a liquid zinc. Several of the major supplement companies have them and you basically can test to see how they're doing on their zinc status. The other thing you can do is look at the alkyl and phosphatase that's on routine blood work and also RBC, red blood cell zinc on a specialized micronutrient test definitely need to be testing the markers of inflammation, the C-reactive protein, the erythrocyte sedimentation rate, in addition to the homocysteine. In some cases, you may need to check cytokines or leukotrienes, but I rarely, if ever, do those. Toxins can be managed by periodic liver detoxification, avoidance, helping them to turn around what they're taking in, what are their hair care products? What are their skin care products? What are their home care products? The thyroid receptors are super sensitive to toxins. So you know how to do that kind of stuff. And if you don't, then we have resources. Go to inemethod.com and look at some of the resources that we have to help support you as a practitioner to get the training that you need. If they're on medication, look up the medications and see if there's any way to work with their doctor to switch them out if some of those are affecting the thyroid receptors. And going back to the homocysteine and if that homocysteine is elevated and you can't put them on the methyl forms, I like to use adenosyl or hydroxyl and there's other SNPs that would allow you to look at that. Finally, you've got to address the insulin resistance because high levels of insulin affect the receptors, affect the uptake of thyroid into the receptors, the ability of the thyroid hormone to bind to the receptor. And by the way, high levels of insulin that lead to insulin resistance can affect other hormones as well and lead to estrogen resistance, progesterone resistance, testosterone resistance leptin resistance. So it's a really important factor for you to address first and foremost when you're working with somebody. Testing is important. Retesting is important. So if you test somebody and you find various things out of balance, you find bad conversion from T4 to T3, you find elevated TSH, you find low levels of the free hormones and they're on estrogen therapy, they're on birth control pills or postmenopausal type therapy. You need to go back after you've helped them make corrections and test again. How frequently? I mean, it could be as little as three months, like for homocysteine. It could be as much as six months, but I wouldn't go beyond six months to go back and test some of these markers to see if they're doing better. And it's certainly if they're not responding, you want to switch out the therapies and then you may have to try again with the testing. I like to use surveys to see how their symptoms are because these people are, they're having the resistant weight loss, they're having the low body temperature, constipation, depression. So I like to do symptom surveys and I do those 
for every four to six weeks to see if we're seeing an improvement. I like to have them measuring their temperatures. We can measure their temperature first thing in the morning and throughout the day. And low body temperatures indicate a metabolic imbalance, which can be a thyroid imbalance. So I like to have them redo those temperatures at four to six week intervals. Easy to do. It doesn't cost them any money. If they're vitamin D deficient, I always have them retest that in six weeks to three months, depending on how off they are and what levels I'm asking them to supplement with. If they did an iodine load test to see if their iodine levels were out of balance, I usually have them redo that in four months or so. So these are the people that have this receptor resistance, which is actually probably most people who have thyroid problems, in addition to some other things. These are the people that fall through the cracks. These are the people sent home to suffer in silence. These are the people that are put on laundry lists of medications to try to address a problem because we're not really looking at the real root cause. And you have the ability to do this. You have the ability to really help these people to get the therapeutics they need, whether they do need bioidentical replacement of thyroid hormone, or whether they need some herbs to help support thyroid production, or they just need the nutrients and the herbs to protect the receptors. It's up to you to really take care of these people, to show these people that they don't have to suffer for the rest of their lives, that they can enable their self-healing mechanisms to do the trick. So for more detailed information and some charts and all, go to reinventhealthcare.com forward slash thyroid. Listen to the other recordings in the series. There's a whole series of thyroid-related podcast episodes that we've done. Listen to them. Some are with me. Some of them are with me and guests. So learn, 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 because this is a very common problem and learn how to address insulin resistance. Because if you don't address insulin resistance and you don't address the core things like inflammation and stress, you're not gonna help these people get well. And that's not what's taught in medical school. So access our free guide if you wanna go deeper with some of the principles of how to help people get well using natural means, using nutritional endocrinology, then go to inemethod.com. And until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.